uh, weeks before Pastor Renee came to me, he texted me and told me, he said, man, I'd like you to uh, bring the word for Father's Day. And I'm like, oh, my heart, my heart, when I look at our culture, never before in the history of America is our nation starving for male godly masculinity. Anybody know what I'm talking about? When I look at the TV, my heart is grieved what I see our culture doing to masculinity. Now, for those of you who grew up in what I call old school homes, where men were men. You fell on the ground and you cried. Ah, fix this! And mama come and run and kiss it and your dad turn around. Let him grow up and be a man. He's going to be fine. Boy, you're going to be all right. Today, I look at a lot of our young men, how desperate they are for a father figure who can identify what masculinity is and what manhood is and what father looks like, what a man looks like in every season of his life. And many of our men, our boys are struggling because they've never seen a role model, a male man. And then he's going to ask to some man to give his daughter to him who he has never seen what a real man, a godly man, how he responds. You know the difference between, I got, this is just not my introduction, I'm just throwing it out. There was no offering for this, this is free. You know the difference between a man and a boy is the word responsibility. Somebody say responsibility. What makes a man a man is he responds out of his ability. A boy runs from his abilities because no one has taught him how to respond out of his ability. And when a man opens the word of God and begins to first discover who his father is and what his father has done in reference to him needing something from him, he now then begins to respond to the people he's, who's been assigned to him because he now responds to them before the way his father responded to him. How important is fatherhood? Fatherhood is very important. You see... God identifies himself as father. So when you call yourself a father, that's a heavy weight. It's a heavy weight. When the disciples came to Jesus, they asked him, teach us how to pray. And he began the prayer, this model prayer says, our father. That's relational. If you call yourself a father, the thing you need to understand as a reflection of God is that God requires fathers to be relational. You see, whatever God creates, he sustains it by the power of his hand. You will never see God create something and then run out on it. You see, so many men who in here may be sitting here have never had the type of relationship that you wanted from your father. But the fact that God, who watches over you, redeemed the time, redeemed you, 
and begin to show you and put men in your life, regardless of when you came to God, he began to put you in a place where you can see what godly fatherhood looks like. And then now he saves you, place you in a place like this, and he begins all over. So whatever didn't happen for you as a boy, God said, I'm going to make happen to you for you as a man. So that now the instructions you missed because your father was not there, I'm going to place a man in your life to show you how to be the instructor for your son and your daughters. That's why they call him a redeemer. Because he redeems things that has been lost. You cannot, every man, you cannot change what didn't happen to you. You cannot change what didn't come to you. You cannot go back and redo all of the things that you should have gotten from your father. But you can begin today by turning to God and said, God, my desire is to be a reflection of you. Fatherless generation, if someone was to identify this culture today, a fatherless generation. There is social problems that is associated with a fatherless generation. But in the book of Malachi, chapter 4, verse 5 and 6, the book of Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. And after he closes the book of Malachi, there's going to be a period of 400 years in which there's not going to be a single prophetic word spoken in the earth. 400 years, heaven's windows and doors was shut up and there was not a single prophet for 400 years that stood in the earth and said, thus said the Lord. And so this earth was plunged into darkness for 400 years and not a single word from heaven. But what is interesting, it's not the fact that the Old Testament closed and 400 years elapsed before the first, the next word came from heaven. But what was more important is what was spoken right before the door was closed. Because in it lies what's coming after the 400 years. Let's take a look at it. Malachi chapter 4, verse 5 and 6, it says, Look, I am sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. His preaching will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. Let that stay up for a second. I want you to see this. Look, I am sending you. Here is the last prophetic word before heaven will shut his doors for 400 years. He said, I'm going to send you someone who's going to come with a level of power, who's going to preach a message so profound that the effects of this message after 400 years will be a restoration of the fathers to their children and a restoration of children back to the fathers. Now notice in it, He didn't say anything about the moms. Now, that's not trying to downplay or play hating on the moms. I'm going to tell you this. I've watched a lot of NBA uh, uh, NBA, uh, drafts. I've watched a lot of NFL drafts. It, it, It never ceases to amaze me. Every time they call these young men up who are about to make millions of dollars and the camera turn and you see more moms and grandmothers than you see fathers and grandfathers. So we thank God for moms. Do you realize right after Adam fell, the Bible says when he ate of the fruit, 
that he realized they were naked. They began to close themselves and they hid. And God came into the, in the garden in the cool of the day. And he said, Adam, where are you? He didn't ask Eve where she was. Why would not God ask Eve? Because of Eve's position and where she came from. Eve didn't come from Adam's foot. She came from his rib, from his side. So wherever Adam was to be, she was to be right there next to him. So he turned and looked because all before he fell, when he came to visit Adam, Eve was standing right there. So when he came to visit the man that was created like him, he asked the question, Adam, where are you? And God is visiting many homes today and still asking Adams, where are you? Where are you, Adam? I'm a firm believer that every time a man finds his position in God, everything around him lines up with God. Everything rounds, lines up with God. Wow. Look at the last part of that verse. Put it back up. He said, his preaching will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. Literally, if you remember the story, when the angel visited Zechariah in the temple, he began to tell Zechariah that your wife, Elizabeth, was going to have a child. And he didn't believe him. He said, since you don't believe me, and you're looking at the, the age of your wife, man, I'm God. I could do anything. I could put a twinkle back in that girl eye at 105. You just need to believe me because I can put it back there. Nah, I'm not saying that, you know, we're going to the Christmas break and your grandmother, you know, at, at the Christmas party, at the family, she knock on the glass. I got an announcement to make. Now, that's not what we're talking about. And she looking at Papa across the table. Y'all like, why are they looking at each other like that? And he said, this boy will be, his name will be John and he will preach repentance and he will cause the hearts of the fathers to be turned back to the children and the children back to their father. He would, he didn't say Elijah was coming. He will come in the spirit of Elijah. And then it says, and his preaching will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children before the great and notable day of the Lord. He's talking about now and Jesus Christ is going to come and, and after they repent, he's going to bring a restoration in the earth because when a man is broken before God, he will come before his family, fall on his knees, broken before his family, says, I am so sorry, I messed up. Please forgive me. He can only say forgiveness. When he realized he has messed up before his God. And when he repents, the first order of business is to go and set it right within that home. Anybody hear what I'm saying? So, God takes fatherhood seriously. And we're seeing in our culture the effects of fatherless, of a father's generation. Here are some of the social problems associated with fatherlessness. 63% of the youth suicide are from fatherless homes, according to the U.S. Department of Health Census. Five times the average. 85% of all children who show behavior disorders come from fatherless homes, 20 times the average, according to the Center for Disease Control. 80% of rapists with anger problems come from fatherless homes, 14 times the average, according to Justice and Behavior, a, 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 a book 
volume 14, page 403, verses uh, uh, 2, 426. Father's factor, fatherless factors in education. Fatherless children are twice as likely to drop out of school when dad's not there. Children with fathers who are involved are 70% less likely to drop out of school. Because you know, <laughs> you tell me, I don't want to go to school. He's going to give me that look like, you either put them clothes on or we're going we gonna, we gonna to go at it. That's going to be a tussle. Eight, here we go. 70% of the youth in state-operated institutions come from fatherless homes, nine times the average, according to the U.S. Department of Justice. 85% of the youth in prison come from fatherless homes, 20 times the average, according to Fulton County, Georgia, Texas Department of Correction information. Do you see the effect of a society without fathers in their position, first of all, in God and then in the family? We don't have a sin problem. What we have is a rebellion against the father problem. Think about what happened. When Adam sinned, he rebelled against his father. And Jesus came to restore the relationship with the children back to the father. And when that happened, blessings come. Wow. Child abuse. The, the, the fatherless factor in child abuse. Compared to living with both parents, living in a single parent home doubles the risk that a child will suffer physical, emotional, or educational neglect. What I'm trying to give you is, man, is to understand your importance, regardless of what the culture is saying to us today. I'm telling you what, how God has, has, has the value that God has placed on men and fatherhood. And I'm here to raise the level of, 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 of fatherhood back to his position where you need to understand God loves a man that is broken before him because he understands when that man is in his place, that wife and those children. They dwell with blessings. Watch this. Daughters of single parents without a father involved are 53% more likely to marry as teenagers. 711% more likely to have children as teenagers. 164% more likely to have premarital birth and 92% more likely to get divorced themselves. Adolescent girls raised in a, in a two-parent home with involved fathers are significantly less likely to be sexually active than girls raised without involved fathers. You don't take a rocket science to figure out why that's so. How many men in here, when your daughter brought the guy home, you gave him the look? Any man gave him a look? You see... I don't know if that's the reason why my daughter is 30-something years old and still single. <laughs> For some reason, every time she brought a young man to the house, first of all, you just need to understand, I love the Lord, you know, but I love my children. When the young man comes to my house, you ain't going to get no teeth from me. It ain't happening. You ain't getting no smile. From, I'm just, I'm exposing myself, man. You need to pray for me if that's not good. You're going to see Papa Bear standing at the cave and going like, and I'm going to growl before you even get a, get a hello from me. <laughs> and I'll never forget Dominique was at Nichols and she brought this young man home. And uh, I was sitting in there and he came in and Dominique must say, I want you to meet my dad. You know, I mean, it's not that shit. And Nadine, she just, you know, she does it. And he's like, ah. 
And I'm looking at him. He's looking at me. And I guess that guy must have felt so intimidated. I don't know why people find me intimidating. I just don't know why. I do not know why. I'm a loving guy, man. I'm a big old teddy bear. I'll cry when you need me to cry. And I gave him the look. And Dominique slid over to Nadine. And she didn't think I heard, but I said, Mama, make him stop. And I firmly believe, uh, Pastor Derek, that's why my daughter, you know, is not married today. Most of the guys, the word got in Homer and Thibodeau, do not go to Freddie's house. I believe that's why she moved out and got her own house. At least she stands a chance now. The last word I heard, she dated some guy from Vashri, whatever. Where's he from? Whatever. But he hadn't come to my house yet. She's got her own house. But see, I know where she lives. And she don't know I got a key to the door. Now you say, well, well, what about your boys? That's a whole nother story. So we see the problem that is associated with the generation of children being raised without their fathers. We see it. Our culture is suffering. And we're asking real men to get back in your position. And when you get in your position, stay in your position. Because your wives need you. Your children need you. When I say your wife, women should have just jumped up and like, yeah, we need you to stay in your position. I'm going to give you quickly five characteristics of a godly father. Now, before I actually give you my first one, I would like Pastor Ben to stand right here, if you don't mind. Pastor Matt to stand right here. Pastor Vern to stand right here, if you don't mind. Um, Pastor Derek right here. And Pastor uh, Miko stand right there. Okay. You know, back up a little bit. Right there. Right there. We can tell Matt run things in his house. Now, I would like the two of you to come stand behind him. I would like your entire family right here, every last one of you. Whoever, if you've assigned him, stand behind him with your wife behind him. Miss Tina, if you don't come, if you don't mind coming, okay? <laughs> Baby girls are not here. Okay, stand behind him. Hold on to him, okay? All right, I would like you and your, your wife and your son to come. I would like everything assigned to this man to come. <laughs> All right, stand behind him. Hold him tightly. Hold him tightly. Hold him tightly. Hold him tightly. Stand in front. And I would like my crew. Come on, crew. If we can, slide over this way because I want them to see you guys. Y'all stand right there. Okay, stand behind me. Now, I want you to notice in this situation, we have some people that are married in his family because here he is, here she is. Okay, now your husband's not here. He's not here. And you're not married. Not yet. Okay, and you're not married. But here's the thing. We need to change this because you need to get in front of her. And you'll see why. Now I need you to hold on to him tightly. All right, good. There is a reason why. What I want to give you, this is an illustration of my first point. The first characteristic of a godly father is that he is a protector. He is a protector. What does that mean? That simply means everything under his authority has been assigned to him to protect it. 
You see, one of the things you need to understand, get close, hold on to him, hold on to him. Yeah, don't leave no cracks in the wall, girl. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I call these pastors up because every one of these men that are married represents every father in here. Okay, so I couldn't call every man up, but I'm speaking to you as well. The first characteristic of a godly father is he is a protector. Now, I want you to understand, what does that mean? That simply means God himself, because he identifies himself as a father, he is out to protect his children. He said, touch not my prophet, not do them any harm. It will be good for you to put a millstone around your neck and to touch one of these little ones. God says, what I have created, what I've anointed, you better not touch it. Why? Because it belongs to me. And I believe every man, when you stand in the position of a father, you ought to stand at the door and say, anything coming in this house wrong, you got to deal with me. So if you're going to come in this house, you better come right. And even when you're not here, your presence should be felt in the neighborhood, even if you're not home. Because the children know when you come into the house and you play with their children, there are just certain things in that house that is not acceptable. My mama says she don't do it. My daddy said, don't do it. You better put that back. You got your little kids, friends over, and they sitting in dad's favorite chair. He pulling, they hear the car, get up out the chair. That's my daddy said, get up. Man, man, get up out the chair. What does that mean as a protector? As a father, you are responsible for taking the full blunt of the force of the wind and every attack that comes at your, ch- at your family. Sometimes even not saying anything is a form of protection. He doesn't say anything because he is protecting you. And then when you find out, you're like, why didn't you tell me? Because I understand I am a protector. I want you to see this. Herein lies the problem with the responsibility as a protector. People that that know you and your family will never appreciate what you do and what you've been called to do until, let him go, until, let him go, Until, let him go. Until, let him go. All the way to the back. They will never be able to appreciate what you have protected them from until you're no longer there to protect them. And then at that point, they have to deal with the full blunt and the full force of what you kept them away from. It is only in death will a man is truly appreciated because then everybody in the family know what he was responsible for because now they have to deal with the very thing that he protected you from. Get back to the front, gentlemen. So it is incumbent upon every man. If you are a father, I want you to stand on your feet and do this. Stand on your feet and do this. You are God's original superheroes. Come on, somebody. I want you to stand in a position.
position. And every time the devil comes in your house, I want you to take this position. And then when he keeps coming, I want you to give him one of these. Come on, give him one of these. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Praying to a man that he don't have to go to counseling after this message. I'm trying to encourage the men in Living Word Church. Why? Because our culture is tearing down male masculinity. They're tearing down male masculinity. And God says, I'm going to raise you back up because I'm going to call you father because I'm a father. What does father mean in the Old Testament? It means Petra. And in the New Testament, it means Abba. And what does father mean? Source. Provider. There is a story in the Bible in Joshua chapter 7, verse uh, 20 and 26. There was a man by the name of Achan. If you remember, Joshua is now the leader of the children of Israel. And their first battle was Jericho. And it was an impenetrable city because the walls were incredible. And so the Lord began to instruct Joshua how to take the city. And literally, he also told Joshua, he says, look, because this is your first battle, everything in there is to be consecrated wholly unto the Lord. Nobody is to touch any of this stuff. <coughs> Excuse me. And so, long story short, Achan saw a Babylonian robe and saw a piece of gold, and he took it and hid it under his tent. And the very next battle they went to fight was a little bitty city called Ai. They didn't need the whole army. I mean, they had defeated an impenetrable city, impenetrable city, and little Ai, they said, we good. They go out to fight, and the Israelite army got slaughtered. And Joshua, knowing that God gave him the orders that no, they would, their enemies would not be able to stand before them, did not understand it. So he rent his clothes all night. And God says, you have sin in the camp. And they went through the camp and began to call them out by tribes, and then by tribes, by heads, and then by heads, by families. And then all of a sudden, they discovered a man by the name of Achan. Look at what it says. Verse 20. And Achan replied, when they said, Achan, why did you do this? It is true. I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. Among the plunder, I saw a beautiful robe from Babylon, 200 silver coins and a bar of gold weighing more than a pound. I wanted them so much that I took them. They are hidden in the ground beneath my tent with the silver buried deeper than the rest. So Joshua sent some men to, to make a search. They ran to the tent and found the stolen goods hidden there, just as Achan said, uh, with the silver buried beneath the rest. Continue. They took the things from the tent and brought them to Joshua and all the Israelites. Then they laid them on the ground in the presence of the Lord. Then Joshua, now notice it said, it laid it on the ground, not in the presence of Joshua, but in the presence of the Lord. Then Joshua and all the Israelites took Achan. Wow. The silver, the robe, the bar of gold, his sons, his daughters, cattle, donkeys, sheep, goats, tent, and everything assigned to him. And they brought everything that was assigned to him to this valley of Achor. Continue. Then Joshua said to Achan, why have you brought trouble upon us? The Lord will now bring trouble upon you. 
And all the Israelites stoned Achan and his family and burned their bodies. And they piled a great heap of stones over Achan, over all the stuff that was assigned to him, over his entire family, which remains to this day. That is why the place has been called the Valley of Trouble ever since. So the Lord was no longer angry. Do you see what just took place when a man left his family uncovered by the, the wrong decision that he made? Now, I want to give you the human side of this. Can you imagine, Tina, the look on Sister Aiken's face when she's standing in that valley with her babies and she had nothing to do with what this joker just did because of his pride and his his covetousness. And because of her husband's decision, she has to now stand the full blunt to watch her And her children died because of a wrong decision that her husband made. She suffered. Her children suffered because her husband made a selfish decision. I would not want to have been there to look at the face of those children as they looked into the eyes of their father. Daddy, why did you do this to us? And children today are still looking in the eyes of their fathers and say, Dad, why are you doing this to us? He left his family uncovered, unprotected. Wow. Gentlemen, let me encourage you. You are God's original divine protector. Protect your family. Characteristic number two. Not only are you a protector for your family, but you are also a provider. Say provider. Now, interesting. See, when God names himself, one of the characteristics of God is that he is Jehovah Jireh. He is a provider. And if God calls you a man and God calls you a father, one of the things he requires you to do is to be a provider, not just in money alone. But as a godly father, you provide wisdom. You provide insight. And you provide proper perspective. Many children are suffering and have wrong perspective because they either didn't have a father to give them the proper perspective. And so they begin to look at the world around them through their own lens. Or they had a father whose father never gave him the perspective, the proper perspective or a biblical perspective. And so you can only give what you have, but you cannot give what you do not have. Make sense? Look at this. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 5, uh, chapter 2, verse 5 and 7 and verse 15, it says, Before any plant of the field was in the earth, and before any herb of the field had grown, for the Lord God had not caused it to do what? Rain on the ground, on the earth. And there was no what? Man to till the ground. But a mist went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. And the Lord God formed the man of the dust of the ground and breathed into this man's nostril the breath of life. And man became a living being or in the Hebrew, he became a living nephish. I want you to understand there is a problem here in verse five. The problem is the earth could not get what it needed, which was rain. And the solution to the rain was to create a man who would have responsibility of taking care of what God gave him so that the rains could come and the rains would produce abundance. 
But he says the rain, the earth could not receive what it needed because there was not a man to do his job. Put that scripture back up. Watch this. So what did God do? What was the answer to earth's problem? He created a man. He said he formed him of the dust of the ground. Now, I know I said the man is the head and we make reference into head means covering. But I also want you to know there are over seven billion plus people in the earth. Seven billion plus people. And God took only one time. God took one man from the soil. From the ground. One. You see, he didn't take the woman from the same place he took the man. He took the man from the ground, from the dirt. That, not, that doesn't say that, you know. What I'm saying is, when you walk into a building like this, people are blown away by the, the beauty of the, the, the lights. The beauty of the paintings and the, the marble counters and all this stuff. But very seldom when you walk into a home, does anybody admire the foundation? See, in a building code, you can walk into a house and the bill inspector says, if we see a crack in the wall, we can basically repair the wall, but the house will never be condemned. But if there is a crack in the foundation, the house will be condemned. Man was made from the ground. The foundation and the foundation has the ability and the responsibility of getting under the house and holding everything up. So while man speaks as being the head, meaning cover, literally God created you from the dirt, from the ground, because you are the foundation in which you get under your family and you provide provision, not in provision, but you sustain them and you hold them up. So every man today, you get under your family and you hold them up. And many families are being condemned because the foundations are cracking. The foundations are cracking. So what does he provide? He provides wisdom, insight, perspective. I love Proverbs. Proverbs always begins with my son, my son, my son, my son. And Deuteronomy, after the children of Israel moved into the promised land, God instructed the fathers, he says, when you rise up, you put your children on your lap and you tell them about me. Right before you go to bed, you put your children, you lay before you lay, you tell them about me. And wherever you're walking in your play, you tell them about me. There is a certain level of responsibility that God has placed upon every father to be able to instruct their sons and daughters and tell them about God. The God who came and gave his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for all of humanity. And son, I want you to understand, daughter, I want you to understand that as a man, it is my responsibility as a godly father to tell you about the heavenly father who came and gave his son to die for you and I. And if it wasn't for Jesus Christ dying for me, I could never be the father you so desire me to be. And I'm not perfect. See, Manny is a mini-me in every way possible. That's why we have these battles often. And I love it because he's got one more year and then he's going to be moving on. He's graduating. I'm going to miss my time with Manny. You know, when Nate graduated, he wasn't in the car going to school with me. I, I said, sayonara, see you later. I said, Visa, deuces, pieces, out. <laughs> but what made Nate leaving me a little bit more I can handle was that I had my twin riding with me. 
And Tina, you know him. Matt, you know him. You spend a lot of time with Manny. Manny has a beautiful spirit. But when Manny don't agree with something, he's going to let the whole world and the next universe know about it. <laughs> Manny is so passionate about Jesus Christ. I watch him. I walk into a, a, a department store owned by a Muslim guy. I watch Manny have a conversation about Islam and Jesus Christ. He has no shame about who he serves. And I am blown away at the passion and the desire and the boldness that young man has. It is unbelievable. Man, he went up to it. So, are you Islamic? Yeah. You Muslim? Yeah. So, tell me about this Allah thing. <laughs> I said, man, if he reads under the counter, bro, I got the dough for you. <laughs> if you holler Akbar, I got you, man. <laughs> But I'm going to miss him because we have these incredible talks. Remember the talk you had, Pastor Ben, with your daughter? We've had those talks, many talks about deep spiritual things. And when he graduates, I'm going to be driving to school one morning. The first morning when he's not there, I'm going to look over and my heart's going to weep because I love my boys. I love my daughter. And I love the time I have spent with them. I love the time my wife and I have spent with our children. And children get old and they leave. You just might as well get ready for it. They are not. See, I tell them, out the door by 24. That don't mean I don't want you to come back. That means you got to go live your life. But if you have not poured into them, you're going to try to keep them around as long as you can. I'm not trying to do that. I'm going to give you a key, load the refrigerator up, and my wife and I are out of here. We're going to take vacations. But I have confidence in the fact that as they grow into manhood, that I have put everything in them that they need. Their mother has told them when she got to the car and she stopped and she did not open the door. And they jumped in there and look, gentlemen, you better go open that door, man. And they opened the door. They saw how I love their mom. And why is that? Because I saw how my dad loved my mom. And all my life, I have never heard my dad use profanity to my mom. And all my life, I've never heard my mom and dad argue unless they did it behind closed doors and screaming at each other through a pillow. I can't ever remember that. I can't remember that. On the day I got married, my dad took her on a drive. I said, Dad, don't you think it's a little too late to have this talk? He said, no, son. I would love to give you some land. I'd love to give you a house. I'd love to give you some money. I, don't, I, I, I just had too many of y'all. Y'all just ate up everything I made. Pastor Matt, but you know what my dad gave me the morning of my wedding? He said, Freddie, the one thing I'm going to give you, everything you see me do for your mom, do for Nadine. I have tried to be the father, an example of a godly man. He said, I'm not perfect. But I want you to love Nadine the way you see me love your, your mom. My dad spoiled my mom rotten. She is rotten to the core. <laughs> and that's a beautiful thing. Right, ladies? Right, ladies? That's more than money. You see, gentlemen, here's what your wife needs to tell you. And since she didn't tell you yet, I'm going to tell you. She will trade all of your stuff for you. She will give you all your stuff back if she can just have all of you. Am I telling the truth, ladies? The measure of a good man is not how much he can provide stuff for his wife, but how much of him does she have? There was a song, I don't know who wrote it. All of me, why not take all of me? I don't even know who wrote that. I know Fred Sanford singing all the time. But you know what? 
I'm sorry. But that's what God is asking of every man. I want all of you. And then when your wife comes, she says, I want all of you. And then when your children come, he says, I want all of you. And we're like, man, who, what, can I get all of me? Can I get some of me? So you are a provider. The third characteristic of a godly man, of a godly father, is not only are you a protector, you're a provider, but you are a promoter. Say promoter. In Luke chapter 3, verse 21 and 22, turn to that, please. Get to that. It says, when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And while he prayed, the, the heavens was open. I want you to see this, verse 22. And the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven and said, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Wow. Do you know what God the Father just did in front of everybody with his son? He just put a seal of approval on his son by telling everybody, that's my boy. There are so many men in here that is left to go into manhood starving and still starving for the approval of their father. Your father may not have ever told you, son, you're doing a good job raising your boys and your children. Your father may not have ever told you you did anything right. I'm blown away. You know how dads would get out there in the backyard, teach him how to catch and, you know, knock him down, boom, and trip him and, you know, catch football. All of a sudden, he get to high school and he runs touchdowns all over the place, running over people. And all of a sudden, he gets to college and, you know, the game's on the line. He goes down the sideline. The quarterback drops and throws a 40-yard pass strike. He catches it, goes in end zone, wins the game. I mean, he's doing this and dad and mom is screaming. He goes, yeah, that's a boy, boy. He turns to the camera and says, hi, mom. What you mean, hi, mom? I'm the one knocked you down in the yard. I'm the one taught you how to catch. Your mom was looking at me and telling me, don't you knock that boy down again. You're throwing the ball too hard. I saw what you did. And when he screamed, she yells your name. Stop it! What you mean, hi, mom? Boy, you got my last name. But as a godly father, you are a promoter. God, when all of heaven opened up, he made the announcement, that is my boy. And I am pleased with my boy. I come to tell you today, Manny, you are my boy and I am so pleased with you. Nate, you are my boy and I am so pleased with you. Dominique, if you're somewhere there, you are my girl and I am so pleased with you. And my baby girl, Nadine, I am so pleased with you. And you know, I ain't about to leave that out. I got to go home. <laughs> I'm not stupid. Laura Fry ain't raised no fool. Boys, children, boys are starving for the approval of their dads. Dad, when are you going to tell him he's doing a great job? Don't let him long and starve for approval. I'm not just going to talk about the dads because there are some dads don't have sons, but you got daughters. Let me talk about you. How first measurement of a man is you and how you treat her 
will tell her what a man really is. So if you don't like the guy that she went and got, maybe it's something she saw in you. I just saw myself went way down at that point. I hope y'all still love me. But if you have been that godly example to your daughter, I promise you, she will not lie them chicken head boys that come in her life because she knows she's got to face you. Go ahead and clap, man. Go ahead and clap. I'm trying to hurry up, guys. But this is Father's Day. I got to encourage the men. I got to encourage the fathers here. Every time a young lady doesn't have the opportunity of sitting down, a baby girl have, have the opportunity to sit down in the lap of her father, and her father tells us, oh, you are my princess. You're the most beautiful thing in the world. God made, when he made, a thing, made you, he made you a thing of beauty. God, you are so awesome. I have taught school for 30-something years. Can I tell you, and Miss Tina can tell you, she taught at Evergreen. Girls agonize and they weep and they cry because daddy never told them that they love them. Daddy never told them. And so she goes out looking for love in all the wrong places. She goes and runs to the first man who will tell her what she wants to hear. And she's going to run to him because she never heard it from a man who didn't want anything from her. And there are ladies even hearing this. It's hard for you not to shed a tear because you never got that from your dad. But I'm here to tell you, there's a godly man standing next to you, sitting next to you. And he will tell you today, you are my queen. I tell my, my wife all the time, you are my queen. Why? Because her father never sat here in his lap and said, you are beautiful. And I tell all the time, girl, you are fine. You got it going on. You is just, oh my God, you just work it. Let me see you work it. <laughs> Guys, today, I don't care how old your wife is when you get home, tell her to work it. <laughs> now, I know you ain't never heard a sermon like this coming from Living Word. But I'm your brother from another mother. <laughs> tell that girl to work it. You know why? Because deep down inside that woman that's still that little girl looking for that affirmation. And if she never got that affirmation from my dad, it is your responsibility to protect her emotionally and tell her she's the queen of all the Nile. So sisters, work it. You may not ever hear this again from this pulpit. As a father, it is your job to push up everything that you hold. Secondly, when you become a father, life is no longer about you, dad, but it's about the ones who are assigned to you. Marriage becomes difficult when dad tried to make the relationship in a home. So that God didn't give you a family so he can push you up. He gave you a family so you can push them up. Man, when I sat back and I, had the, I have had the opportunity to watch the coach both of my boys. And I know I do a lot of screaming, but boy, they know. They know. I love them. I watch them and it just, it does something to you when you watch your son just run over other people's children.
It does something to me. When I, when I watch Nate come up the sideline, he got five kids dragging on him. He dragging them in, so on. And then my, those five kids, sons, daddy screaming, bring him down, bring him down. It can't happen. The glory of God is on my boy. The anointing is on him. And boy, I just, we, this weekend, we was in an E.D. White Hoof Fest, and I watched Manny playing against certain team. Boy, he made a move and went to the basket, throw a new look pass to a baby. Like, boy, that's, that's, boy, that's my boy. But you know what even excites me more, greater than all of that, is when you can step back and watch your kids step up and say, send me to Albania. I'll go preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. When you can watch your daughter step up and say, you know what? I may not swing a bat. I may not can dunk a basketball. But when it comes down to things of God, dad, I've watched you. And so now when I heard they needed somebody to step up and fulfill the great commission, and I know you have a heart for people, let me do this because I want my daddy to be proud of me. <laughs> Glory to God. That's more important, Pastor Ben. That is more important. I've watched Michael grow up. I saw y'all struggles when he had that Crohn's disease. And I watched how you guys agonized the money you spent feeding him beans in the morning, beans in the afternoon, beans at night. I think Michael didn't even want to hear the word beans. When Pastor Renee was doing a series on growth and was growing beans, Michael went, I ain't sitting through that series. <laughs> and if you remember what I told you, one day at school, I said, one day, God's going to totally hear that boy. Not that you didn't know it. And, he's, and where he's going to be at, when God is through with him, it's going to be as if he had never had a single physical struggle. And I look at Michael right now. Michael, today, Michael ain't missing no meals. <laughs> the only thing I'm going to say to Mike, shame on you. You did not give your dad an opportunity to watch you play one year of basketball. God will forgive you for that. God will forgive you for that. So not only as a, as a godly father, we are a protector, we are a provider, we are a promoter, but we are a priest. We are a priest. I want every father to say, I am a priest. Wow, watch this. Put the scripture up. I want you to see this. In Proverbs, I want you to see this. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11 to 15. So Christ has now become the high priest over all the good things that, we have, that, have, to, that to have come. He entered the greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven, which was not made by human hands and, not is, and is not part of this created world with his own blood. Somebody say own blood. His own blood, not the blood of goats and calves. He entered the most holy place once and for all time and secured our what? Redemption forever. Under the old system, the blood of goats and blood of bulls and, and of ashes of, of heifer could cleanse people's bodies from ceremony and purity. Verse 14, just think how much more the blood of Jesus will purify our conscience from sinful deeds that we, may, that we can worship. Do what? Worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal spirit, what did Christ do? Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. That is why he is the one who what mediates a new covenant between God and people so that all who are called can receive the eternal inheritance. God has promised them for Christ died to set them free from the penalty of the sins they had committed under that first covenant. So, wow, what is how is that a reflection of you as a father? When he says we are priests, that simply means this. 
as a father, a, a godly father, you are the priest of that home. You stand between your family and God. As a priest of your home, it is imperative that men learn how to pray. The Bible said man, man should always pray. If you want to defeat the, for, the forces of the enemy that's coming against your father, your children, get on your knees in prayer. Now, I want you to understand. You see, men don't pray like women pray. Women pray from their heart. Lord, you've seen my daughter. I ask now, Jesus, that the blood of Jesus will cover her, that you will bring that girl back. Lord, I pray you will touch my son. I plead the blood of Jesus Christ over my daughter, my son, God. And they pray from the heart. But as a provider, this is how we pray. Lord, you know I have a job. I can show you $900 next week. And because you've never heard him pray, you figure that we're in the mess we're in because you haven't prayed. Yes, he has. He just don't pray the way you pray. You see, the difference between a man and a woman is that women are emotional creatures, which means they deal with things from the heart. So when a woman speaks, she speaks what's on her heart. Men are logical thinkers, which means when a woman gets in trouble and deals with an issue, she speaks about it. She talks about it. When a man is in trouble... Because he's a logical thinker, he deals with things from the head. She comes forward to talk when issues come in the family. He retreats into his cave. And you scream at him from the entrance of the cave. Where are you? Why are you always running when we have issues? He's not running from you. He's running to God. Because as a logical creature, he wants to be able to analyze and think through what he is experiencing to try to come up with some godly solution that's going to make sense. So it's not that he doesn't care. He's wired from the neck up because he's got to think about this. He's got, if he's a priest, he has to go to the God who called him to protect and take the full force. Men, you were never made to take the full blunt of everything that comes at your family except take it, but give it to God. So when men are dealing with issues, they deal with their issues from a logical standpoint. And so he, he becomes quiet. Three weeks has passed, and now here he comes. Baby, remember what you said three weeks ago? And you know why your wife looking at you like that? She has said a lot in three weeks. Which part of the three weeks are you talking about? The part he's still been in the cave thinking about it. Wow. God calls us to be the priest. And as a priest, he calls us to sacrifice. It is a sacrifice that you make as a father so that your children and your wife can have. And then you get to sit back in your older years to enjoy what you provided for them. Because what comes back to you is more than what you gave out if you give it right. And then finally, you are a prophet. You are a prophet. Now, to make this portion short, I'm not going to get into the scripture. It's found in Genesis chapter 27, verse 18 to 24. But go, go ahead and put up verse 28 and 29, because this is where I want to go with this. 
Remember when Jacob wanted his brother Esau's birthright? His father's eyes was going dim and he couldn't see him as I get ready to close. His mama conspired with Jacob to fool Isaac. To make him a poison and he covered himself with the with, with hair of an animal because Esau was a man of the field. Jacob was a mama's boy. Ain't nothing wrong with being a mama's boy. I love my mama. And watch this. It was interesting because Jacob wanted his brother's birthright. He goes to him and he says, Dad, I'm ready for my birthright. He tried to disguise his, disguise his voice to sound like Esau. But he says, son, how is it that you say you're Esau, but you sound like Jacob? And in the passage, scripture says, and when he ate the parch, he reached across to touch him. And he felt the hair that felt like Esau, but everything sounded like Jacob. Now, what was that all about? Can I share something with you? As a prophet, the ministry of laying on of hands in the Old Testament was very important. Fathers laid hands on their children and blessed them. They touched him. Remember when Jacob finally brought him for his father, his children, Ephraim and Manasseh before his grand, his dad? What did his dad do? His dad crossed his hand and laid his hands on Ephraim and Manasseh. And he began to declare a blessing. Watch what happened in verse 28 and 29. After the deception had come to its full measure. And dad is getting ready to lay his hands on, on Jacob. And here's what it was. From the dew of heaven and the richness of the earth. May God always give you abundant harvest of grain and bountiful new wine. May many nations be become your servants and may they bow down to you. May you be the master over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. All who are cursed will be cursed, will be cursed and all who bless you will be blessed. Wow. What did this man just do? He laid his hands on his son and decreed and declared a blessing over him. As I get ready to close, there are many children have had their dads to lay hands on him, but it wasn't for a blessing. Their children have to deal with sexual abuse from their father, physical abuse from their father, who laid hands on them not to bless them, but they have cursed them. And I'm telling you today, because they have been cursed, because the wrong hands were laid on them, God has now redeemed you, Dad. And because you have been blood-bought, He now reversed the curse, not allowing the same curse that was on you because of words that were spoken. And even if your father did not touch you, He spoke words of cursing over you, which is just as devastating. Because life and death flows from the power of your words. And God is a redeemer of the time. And will bring you back so that you will lay your hands. And if you've never laid your hands on your children, it's not too late to do it. And speak a blessing over them. As a godly father, you are called to speak what your children can be. As a godly father, you are called to speak to the destination of your children, not the predicament of your children. And as a godly father, you are called to lay hands on your children and tell them who they are. Stand to your feet.
this morning as we celebrate fatherhood. I pray that the words of the message will edify you and that you will walk and be all that, first of all, God wants you to be and that you will be all that your wife needs you to be and that you will be all that your children need you to be. But the only way you can do that is that you have to be willing to submit to Jesus Christ. You have to be willing to be broken before him. So this morning, I want to just pray a corporate prayer over you this morning. Wives, if you are next to your husband, lay your hands on him. They didn't just stretch your hands forward toward me. And ladies, I want you to speak this over your husband. Today, I lay my hands on my husband. I speak a blessing over him. Empower him with your wisdom to lead me and my children. God, I ask today that you will strengthen him. That you will show him all he can be. So he can speak to us all we can be. Lord, today I thank you for him. I thank you that you've allowed him to come into my life. Teach me to love him more. Teach me to honor him more. And Father, I thank you that he is the man of God you have called him to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen. Give him a big hug. God bless you. God love you. And happy Father's Day to you all. Go enjoy yourself. Love you guys.